I'm Katherine Short, Partnership Marketing Manager for FIRST Healthcare Compliance. This webinar is brought to you by FIRST Healthcare Compliance as part of our commitment to provide high-quality, complementary educational resources. We help create confidence among healthcare compliance professionals throughout the United States. Please show your support by taking a few minutes to provide a review of FIRST Healthcare Compliance on places such as Google or Facebook. And you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or subscribe to our YouTube channel where you will find archives of our webinars. Today, we are so pleased to have Faisal Naji, CEO and Executive Director at Techumen LLC, a company that focuses exclusively on securing health information by simplifying healthcare security for their healthcare clients. A seasoned C-level technology risk expert with over 25 years of experience in developing and executing large information, information security and product development programs, Faisal brings a deep knowledge of regulatory frameworks, technology capabilities, and process constraints to consistently de deliver quality information, risk management programs for large healthcare institutions. He has served as Interim Chief Security Officer for a 14-hospital system and for 21-hospital system, and has conducted multiple security risk assessments for providers of all sizes. At EY, he led a team to review and improve the security of an integrated managed care organization's electronic medical records EMR system with over 8 million members and 3 million health records. A copy of the slides is available for download on the control panel. Feel free to submit questions into the question box of your control panel during the presentation. We will address questions at the conclusion of the presentation. Your PACOM and PMI CEU certificates will be emailed to you following the broadcast. Feel, feel free to, um, uh, following the broadcast, your PACOM certificate will come directly from PACOM and your PMI certificate will come from our email. There's no need to request either one. Additional CEU opportunities will be available to BC Advantage members following the live broadcast. See their website for details. A download of the handout is available with a button on the bottom right-hand side, or it might be on the side or your upper um, side of your screen. So Faisal, a very warm welcome. Thank you so much for coming to us with this part two of your webinar series here. Thank you. Thanks very much, Catherine. I really appreciate the kind introduction. And yes, this is uh, webcast number two. First of all, I hope you can hear me all okay. And if you cannot, uh, Catherine will let me know. But thank you very much for attending. Uh, if you attended the first webcast, uh, I already thank you. But for those of you who have not heard the first webcast, I think it's important to give you a summary of the webcast uh, that we presented last time. Um, in addition to the summary, I'd like to cover four other areas, which is what are the key controls that you need for data analytics? What things can go wrong? How you leverage your risks to design your security program for data analytics? And the key participants that you need to have in your program. 
So uh, with that, I want to just focus back on who cares about data analytics. Some of you may have missed the first webcast, so I think it's important to just give a refresh of uh, what is data analytics and who cares about data analytics. Well, in short, everybody should care about data analytics. In this new world of patient-centric care, we're trying to use data to make sure that we provide the best care possible to patients. So hospitals will mine data, long-term care facilities will mine data. Even at home, you might have devices on your wrists, such as a Fitbit or an Apple Health Watch. You're monitoring <clears throat> your diabetes or you're monitoring your heart rate or uh, your blood pressure, whatever it might be. All this data needs to be analyzed. So in many ways, we're looking at data as the currency of are the future health of all patients across the country. <clears throat> and everybody, <clears throat> ranging from palliative care all the way to even uh, OBGYN care, which is the very start of your life, and the very end of your life in palliative care, everybody can really benefit from data, data, data analytics. And then why do we care? So how does this data analytics translate into usefulness? <clears throat> This slide kind of goes into a little bit more detail. So for example, in the first bullet point, I talk about database quality care. If you think about insurers, so many insurers who insure patients across the country, these patients will go to different hospitals. Well, now if different hospitals have different infection rates for sepsis, which is a condition that they might get after an operation, why is that happening? Why are some hospitals doing worse than the others? And so we can take a look at the discrepancies among hospitals to understand what is the best care protocol for sepsis. So for insurers, this is just one example of how they can use data. Another example is what Google has just done. Uh, they have an artificial intelligence-based program which scans the eyes of people. And here you can find items for uh, that would result in not missing cataracts, for example, missing macular degeneration. But the scans are typically better than what the ophthalmologist can do from a simple radiology uh, image that they view. Uh, not all, of course, uh, uh, radiologists fare worse than Google. But many do, which suggests that, you know, in some cases, having an attendant machine that can regularly check for potential errors by radiologists is very important. Likewise, when you think about x-rays, uh, IBM had a study which showed that it's IBM Watson artificial intelligence program could identify certain cancers better than some of the best oncologists. So these are things, again, which recognize and use data analytics and use the vast amounts of data that we're collecting from a wide range of places to provide quality care. Another example is to reduce patient wait times. If, for example, you have better connectivity between various applications, such as your scheduling application or your staffing application, and you can exchange information and use algorithms that can identify one of the best ways to fill in 
waiting rooms and reduce waiting room times, for example, in emergency settings. That's important. That really helps out. That's a revenue generator for some hospitals. It's a revenue saver as well because you're optimizing staffing. If you take it further or take a step further, what you're really doing is you're improving patient satisfaction because you're providing him or her with easier appointments, a better way to process insurance. So for example, uh, a lot of insurance revenue cycle problems result in complications from understanding by the patient what he's paying for, what she's paying for, what she's not paying for, and why does it happen. We can provide better ways for understanding what people are paying for, either through their insurance programs or their own um, health savings accounts. But this is important. So you can use data to guide patients on how best to improve their health care and by saving money. Um, we also provide patients with very personalized treatments. If, for example, we can identify within our data that there are certain genetic problems with our genome, we can actually help the doctors understand that it is genomic related rather than a fairly run-of-the-mill uh, sickness. So sometimes, especially with genomic data analytics, you can really provide a significant amount of personalized treatment. And like I said earlier, you know, you can reduce emission rates by leveraging population health data against personal patient data to protect at-risk patients. As I mentioned, sepsis is a perfect example. There are many different things that you can use to actually compare population health and general health of the population against certain patients to identify issues that they may have or the population uh, seems to now identify as a concern. So there are clearly lots of areas on why we care about data analytics. So this now gets us into the, the main area of the webcast is what are the security concerns for data analytics and what causes them? Well, it's really caused by massive amounts of EPHI data, which is protected health information, of course, that moves at very high velocity to many users. So I hope you get this correct and, and you, you the listeners can fully understand that this is really important. You're dealing with massive connection, with sorry, massive amounts of data at a very high velocity to many users. So this means that any breach will be large and may result in hefty fines. And that's particularly important to recognize. When you're dealing with large data sets, the more data you have and the larger a breach is from any breach of that data set will result in hefty fines because the fines are directly correlated to how many records you lost. So if you lost 100,000 records, you lost a lot of records. If you lost only five records, it's not that big a deal, but it's still five records and five patients you got to worry about. But when you're dealing with hundreds of thousands of records that might be lost because of this high volume of data and high velocity with which it's using, you've got to be extremely concerned. The other thing that's really causing a lot of concern among CIOs and security folk 
in healthcare settings is that there's a preponderance of analytic tools these days. Each of them also have their own ways in which they allow access, how they provide permissions, who authorizes the access. And so when you're dealing with data analytics, and especially in larger healthcare settings, you might have multiple analytic tools that all focus on data analytics, but these have different permissioning and authorization processes. So it's not a single process, it might be multiple processes, and you've got to be aware of that. So it's very important that these are considerations for security when you're dealing with data analytics. Now, how do we address these weaknesses in security? Last week, the last, sorry, the last uh, webinar we provided, uh, we said that data governance is a strategy, a data governance strategy rather is an important overall framework for managing these efforts. So the last time we focused exclusively on data governance, I'll go through data governance very briefly again. But then we want to talk about the core infrastructure security that we need for any entity to make sure that data analytics is useful. And these include things such as servers, communication links, firewalls. It includes applications and database security, and also how you monitor and manage third-party interactions. Let me give you an example of third-party interactions. You might have a revenue cycle uh, partner who, or a coding partner who is taking all your coding data or your revenue cycle data and making sure that it's appropriate for to send to the centers for Medicare for billing and reimbursement. Well, if that third party is using an IT infrastructure that uses your data, uh, but is not secure, then you have a very large problem. And the point is, is that with data analytics, you will have increasingly amount of large numbers of third parties trying to help you process your data. So third party interactions will be increasingly important. As I mentioned, we should just go very quickly into what is data governance. And data governance is simply that. You're governing the use of data. That is, how do you correctly steer the use? How do you manage it? And this is applicable to all corporate and any externally available data. And it requires an understanding of all the areas that are ripe for data-driven insights. There are so many of them in any hospital or uh, clinical environment, including informatics, revenue cycle and coding, how you schedule resources, how you actually develop care protocols as well. And the important thing about data governance is that, and the most important thing is that because it is so serious, and it's so important to the vitality of the organization going forward because everything runs on information. Everything runs on information now. That the steering committee should be led ideally by the CEO. This is a very big deal. Now, the CEO sometimes may say, they say well, I really don't know much about technology. That's not the point. The point is they do understand about the business and they can get guide and they can be guided and get help from CIO, their own counsel, privacy and security officers. But it's critically important to have very senior people on the steering committee because they understand the deep problems. They can actually overcome obstacles. They can approve things. So 
So it's very important for your data analytics program to really have a steering committee led by as senior people as possible. That's fundamentally important. So this is a pictorial uh, which describes the governance structure in general or a typical governance structure. And it starts up from the very outside box where you have executive board leadership right there. And again, as I mentioned, this is uh, the CEO. It probably includes the CIO, uh, the clinical informatics officer. And then you can have a data governance committee, which is business leaders of certain functional departments. So they, you might have a functional department, let's say, in revenue cycle, a functional department in nursing, a functional department in radiology. All of these folks will have and should utilize data analytics to improve their own processes. But they need to present the problems. The problems need to be understood by executive board and leadership. And only then do you go downward. And the next, uh, the next posture are the data stewards. These are simply people who are managing the information infrastructure for the people in the business. Uh, the data architects, of course, then in turn report the data stewards. And likewise, the data administrators and system administrators they basically also report up the chain. At the end of the day, what you have is some data access controls, which is where we're focusing on the security, but knowing full well that we need to do the other things equally well, and that the, all of this data rests in some kind of data lake or warehouse. There might even be multiple warehouses, and then these can be joined by connections, which then form what is called a data lake. I'm using these terms because these will come to you often and quite furiously uh, with frequency uh, as you move into data analytic programs. So getting an understanding of these terms is really important. So the data governance committee, the data stewards, the architects programmers, the administrators, what kind of controls you're using, and what's the eventual large repository that's going to take care of all your data and secure it. So, having said that, and having got a good understanding, I hope, of the uses of data analytics and the general areas where we need data analytics, and specifically the need for a governance program, we can now delve into uh, controls for data analytics. That is, what are the key controls for data analytics? And this next slide is a very, very important slide because it really talks about the top 20 controls that typically security experts and privacy experts have to address to make sure that things are secure. This is a very large task with 20 controls and for a large hospital system, it is difficult, uh, but it must be done and there's no excuse. Uh, because we are living right now in an era where information technology is sacrosanct and is the lifeblood of healthcare. So by addressing weaknesses in the top 20 controls, we can address weaknesses in your data analytics programs. So let's take a look at some of these controls. Let's say, uh, let's look at item number one, which is the inventory of authorized and unauthorized devices. Well, why is that important? Well, simply put, if you don't know where your computers are, 
where your storage devices are, where any of your information lies, you don't have an understanding of how to secure it. It's that simple. You might have a couple of rogue devices or a couple of hard drives that are lying around that you don't know what they contain. But if somebody takes them because you're simply lying around in, in a front office somewhere where easily accessible, you have a very large breach. You have the capability to have a very large breach, rather. So having an inventory of your authorized and unauthorized devices, for example, is extremely important because you don't know what you don't know. And if you don't know but what you have, but an attacker knows what you have, you don't, then you're in deep doo-doo. So you really want to make sure that you have a very good inventory of authorized and unauthorized devices. Likewise, you need to know where your software is. And this is a particular problem with cloud-based software. You've heard about cloud-based software. Now everybody's using information in the cloud. Well, the problem is that it's your data that's being put in the cloud. And if that company who is the cloud provider is not doing the right thing by securing that cloud data, then you're in trouble. Moreover, sometimes in lots of hospitals, we may not know if somebody has bought some cloud data because typically the operational expenses for running a cloud application are very small compared to buying the software outright, which would be a capital expense. So again, not knowing where your software is, not knowing what software you're using, not knowing who your cloud vendors are, that's a problem. And then you go on this set of 20 controls and you recognize that each of these areas are very important. Uh, secure configurations for hardware and software. That's number three. And that relates to are your servers patched? Are your operating systems patched? Etc. If they're not patched, you know, people can get access to them very easily and rifle through your data and steal your data. You don't want that. So as you can see, there are so many, many of these controls, but I'd like to highlight some key ones that which really go wrong. Uh, and the first is that without, no, without any governance, you're simply hurting cats. So going back to the data governance model where we had the CEO and the CIO and the CFO leading this effort, that's very good. But if you don't have that, what you have in essence is radiology doing their own thing, oncology doing their own thing, cardiology doing their own thing, they're buying services from different people. They're not paying attention to authorization. There's no idea what is happening at a central level. This will lead to disaster. So without governance, you're hurting cats and you're leading to disaster. The other thing that can happen is that you have too many people with administrative access to key systems and applications. So for example, suppose you have five data analytics programs which are not centrally managed. Now you have five different administrators of those accounts with multiple users for these accounts, uh, for these systems. And so now you might have five systems, but 300 users, all managed by five different users and uh, by five different administrators. That's a mess. Administration should be, should be administered by a small number of people, not a very large number of people. So making sure that you provide that administrators provide the correct access, the right access, is a very difficult task, and it's probably best handled using technical tools, 
and also with very few numbers of administrators. I mentioned earlier the use of unvetted cloud-based systems, and I think that's a particular problem. I'll give you an example. At one hospital we were, uh, that I actually worked at with a chief security officer. In our inventory of software, we thought we had 900 applications. Well, when we did a technical controls analysis to find out how many applications we actually had, we used a very sophisticated method to identify where people were hiding the software. And we found that there are actually 2,000 applications in use, not the 700 that we thought we used. So where were this? 1,300 applications coming from. Well, they were simply added on by various departments without the approval of the CIO or even the president or whoever it might be who needs to approve uh, IT expenditures. Because a lot of times these systems were based or bought from small operating budgets where you pay $20, $30 a month. It's a blip in somebody's budget and it gets installed. People are now using it. They're very happy, but there's no security on it. That's the problem. So, cloud-based systems are a problem. The next piece is poor internal security. Yeah, this is a really big deal. I talked briefly about unpatched servers, operating systems, but this also extends to switches and routers that actually form the communication backbone of uh, our internet systems. We also probably may not have good logging and who's using the data analytics systems. So, if somebody is downloading a very large data set into his personal drive and then saving it onto his friend, how do we know that this is a violation? Well, we can only know if it's a violation if we have logged every movement of this person and then monitored the use. And, and this is actually a very good idea for hospitals to do because you're dealing with very large data sets. So we find a lot of healthcare clients have very poor logging and monitoring capabilities. We also find that they have very poor email and browser protections. And this means that there's phishing, which is the notion of somebody targeting you through email to click on a link, uh, which then take you to a bad site, is rampant. Poor email and browser protections are, are a bane currently for many entities, and you really need to step up your email and browser protections. The next piece is how do we train employees on use of large data sets? Employees have to understand a large data set is not a small data set. If you lose a large data set, it's a major breach. Hundreds of thousands of records can lead to a major breach and very large fines, sometimes in excess of millions of dollars. So training employees on how they manage data sets, how they approve data sets, how they transfer data sets, to whom they're sending data sets, all of that's extremely important and requires some training. Another area is incident response. If you do have an incident, how do you manage that? Who do you call? Is there a process in place? Have you written it down? Most people will find that their incident response processes are not followed or are not written well. And a classic example is our own coronavirus uh, incident response program from the federal government. We decided not to follow it, even though it was written in 2015. We did not use that playbook. I don't know why, but having a playbook for incident response is extremely important. So 
Um, we think that there are some major things that can go wrong in data analytics. These are some. But we can then use this, these risks to actually design your program. What do we mean by that? Uh, what we mean by that is that we now know your risks. Once you analyze what your risks are, you can use those same risks and turn them around to help strengthen aspects of your program. And the reason is because risks are generally related to process and people and less on the technology itself. People will tell you a lot of times, eh, we don't have X, Y, and Z technology. Most breaches are unfortunately caused by breaches in process and people, people giving authorized access to people who shouldn't have access, people who don't understand that the chief security officer should be involved or that the governance process should be involved, etc. So what we suggest you do is you conduct a risk assessment by a qualified security assessor to understand what it is that you're missing. You might have this capability in-house through a security person, or you might use external resources. Either way, make sure that the security assessor really does a very good job of understanding your data analytics program. Once they've done that, they can identify gaps across the controls and then label them in a risk table. And what does a risk table look like? This is a risk table. And this is an important table because I think I'd like to go into a little bit more detail how it works. On the top here, we have the severity of harm that is an impact of something going wrong. On the left side, it's the likelihood of something going wrong. So if there's a high likelihood of something going wrong, coupled with a very high severity harm often going wrong, then you know that's a problem that you've got to fix. On the other hand, if the likelihood of something going wrong is very low, that means it's very difficult to hack, or you've got very strong controls, and the severity of harm is very little, you know, people won't get much information, then you really don't have to worry about that risk. So the risks that you really worry about are these high risks, or the medium high risks, which are labeled four and five. And typically for most of our clients, we find there's about 15 or 20 major things that they want to do. And these are all in the four to five. We find about 20 or 30, you know, depending on the size of the hospital or the entity, um, items in the lower risk area. So what we tell our clients is focus on the high risk areas first. And typically those will be, as I mentioned, related to process people and less on the technology itself. If there are technology holes, you can find reasonable, inexpensive ways to shore your technology program. There's a lot of uh, open source, out, uh, source programs out there. There's low-cost programs out there, low-cost technologies out there. It doesn't have to cost you the moon. Most important thing is to make sure that you understand that the risks are related to process and people and that governance Governance, sorry, is the most important thing. Pardon me, I'm just going to go. So the key participants in your data analytics program design, as I mentioned earlier, is the CEO, CFO. But listen, it could also include the chief nursing officer, the chief medical information officers, key business line leaders. It's vital that you have senior leadership participation. And then understand your risks, and then let the governance board decide how to address these. 
as I mentioned, mitigate high impact with low risks immediately, which is right here. There's another view of which we, which is important that I'd like you, you to consider. And this is a map of what your current state is versus your desired future. Say you have six major areas of problems, governance, compliance, identity access, natural business continuity and response. What you're trying to do is first understand what the risk your organization is and the complexity of mitigating these risks. So if you are currently in the blue dots here, so let's say your governance is here, you want to go to a less risky position for governance. So you can individually understand what are the major areas of concern, look at where your current state is, and then decide where your future state should be based on certain recommendations that you make that will allow you to get to this state. So very, very important that you think about risk in a number of ways. So this is one area that you can, which is one way you can think about risk, using a risk table. There's other ways in which you can think about risks in terms of current versus future desired state. And as I mentioned, that the key participants in the data analytics program design are CEO, CFO, and they're extremely vital. Mitigate your high impact, but low risk, low cost risks immediately, because if you get the best, most bang for the buck. And that's the end of the uh, webcast. I hope you have enjoyed it. I'd be happy to take your questions. Do we have any questions, Catherine? Thank you so much, Faisal. Uh, we do have a few questions. Let me see if I can get to those. One moment, please. Okay. So, um, actually, did you have anything else to add while I while I get those questions? No, not really. I, I think it's. Uh, uh, I hope both uh, webinars are uh, useful. I just want to mention that this is a. Uh, this is a long-term effort, and this is not going to go away. We're entering an era of medicine that is going to be far vastly different from that even five years ago. The rate of technology change is so vast. Okay, and I and do so have these questions. Crazy. Okay. Yes, oh, okay. I'm go ahead. Sorry. Um, you cut out for just a second a little bit. Sorry about that. Sorry. Um, your oh, voice no worries. Just a, just a hair. Um, uh, so actually, so let me go ahead and give you what the first question was. Sorry about that. Um, so in one of the slides, you referred to people and process having more risk. Could you explain a little bit about that? Yes. Uh, so I think I, I had earlier mentioned that when you have a data analytics program, you will have multiple groups wanting to get access to insight. So in a hospital environment, for example, you have 10 or 15 major groups like cardiology, radiology, oncology, gastroenterology, whatever it might be. Each of these, each of these uh, groups will have different requirements. If they all start doing their own thing, that's going to be a problem. So the process is to really understand each of the requirements map these out in a flow diagram for each organization, understand what tools can be addressed for those, 
and then you have a holistic process rather than a slap shot, scatter shot process where each individual department is doing their own thing. So that's an example of where a good understanding of process will really result in lowering your technology control costs and anything that you might have to buy because you can you can do a lot of things simply by just simply adjusting the way people work. Okay, all right. And uh, I have another question here. Which are the most important controls from the set of 20 that you presented? Uh -huh. I'm going to go back to that slide. And uh, I would say for uh, data analytics, it's really important to have one and two because you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of people are using software and systems and processes that they don't know about. Uh, I would say secure configuration is extremely important. Email browser is very important. And the controlled use of administrative privileges because these are providing keys to the kingdom. I'd say, you know, less so is the boundary defense because those are routers because that's typically handled by the telco folks and you as a governance entity shouldn't really be worried about that. Likewise, wireless access control, or likewise application software security. But things such as incident response are important. You need to have an understanding of how would you respond to a large breach. You need to understand your authorized and unauthorized devices very well as well as your software. And making sure that you have email and web browser protections because you don't want to get fished. And finally, the controlled use of administrative privileges. So those are, I guess, one, two, five, seven, and 19 are probably the most important. Okay. All right. So you mean uh, on number seven for the um, the email and browser protection? Yes. Okay. Uh, could you elaborate? And, and, and you know, it, it would also depend. It also it can also depend by by entity. But typically, when you're dealing with data analytics, those are some fundamental things that you really got to be careful because of the very large volume of data that you're using. Not sure. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um. See, we have another question here. Okay, uh, this person says, um, I'm already doing some data analytics. I'm worried about my security posture. What should I do? Aha, perfect question. Goes back to my understanding uh, of whether you have a governance structure or not. If you have a governance body with whom you can talk to about your data privacy and security controls, uh, that's a good thing. If you don't have that, I'd urge you to go directly, do not fast go, to go to your privacy and compliance officer because they need to understand that you're having some issues and you're concerned about certain aspects of data analytics. So if you're not sure about what controls you should use, the first thing to do is to go to your privacy and or security officer. The reason why I'm saying privacy officer first is because security folk can often get tangled up in technical gobbledygook. Uh, not saying all of them do, but the privacy official will absolutely know that this is a problem. They will get the right people to bring to a meeting and they will be able to solve any control questions you might have. Okay, great. Uh, and then I think we have uh, another question here. Uh, what do you look for in a vendor of um, data analytics? Uh, you know, so vendors are wide and 
varied, um, and there are lots of different types of data analytics tools. I think fundamentally, they need to make sure that they understand authorization and access are going to be very critical areas of concern. So they will need to potentially guide you into making sure that you have the right security structure. I recall in a hospital setting, we were two or three years ago, we had the vendor come in, a very good vendor, you know, one of the top three analytics vendors out there. Uh, but they started with a smaller hospital. Before you knew it, this was mushrooming all across multiple hospitals without any controls. So we had to quickly warn the vendor that, look, you know, we, we, we like your product, but we want to make sure that we're addressing these. So then there was a come to Jesus meeting where we all sat around the table and we decided that we need some, do some uh, remediation work around authorization, access control, and controlled use of administrative privileges. Okay, very, very good. Well, um, I have a question. So um, at the beginning of the questions here, um, I accidentally cut you off and I, th I think it would be, um, the Wi-Fi was going in, um, going out just a just a hair. So I'm I'm wondering if you could um, um, repeat a little bit, if any words of advice or anything that you wanted to to leave with us. Perhaps. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah, let's do that. Thank you. Again, I, I think this is the slide I'd like to leave with you. Thank you. Uh, don't underestimate bullet point one. That's where failure is going to happen if you don't have participation. It's going to scream of failure. And it's not the CIO alone who is in charge or the IT manager. No. This has to be a very good senior group for you to embark on a great data analytics program. You also let the governance board decide on risks and how to address these. And it's interesting here because the governance board, if they recognize that there are some serious risks and technology controls must be purchased, who better than actually them to go ask for money right away? You know, you don't have to go to multiple meetings. The board fully understands that it will take some money to fix some controls to make sure that your data analytics programs succeed. They will do that for you. And so that's why the board is particularly useful. And then finally, you know, get rid of low hanging fruit. Everybody talks about this, but high impact solutions with that address high risks, but at low cost should be addressed as quickly as possible. Perfect, perfect. Well, I wanted to thank you so much for being here today, Faisal. I very much appreciate it. Thank you for um, the first part that you did and then the second part. It's um, so vital. So I, I really very much appreciate it. So uh, thank we you. We appreciate it, you know, uh, as well. Uh, this is a new journey for a lot of health entities. You're going to be asked to do a lot more with information and in a lot quicker way. So be prepared. Be ready and good luck to you. Yes, thank you so much. And and thank you attendees also for, for listening and attending and um, 
we appreciate you as well so much. And uh, please remember that uh, you can download these slides as well. So you can have all the contact information there um, and review this. And uh, uh, please remember that uh, you can download it. It's on the, on the side panel or the upper panel there. Uh, you can send qu uh, questions directly to um, uh, Faisal and uh, Techiman, and you can send us questions later. We'll forward them on. Please remember your PACOM and your PMI CEU certificate will be emailed to you from within two days following the broadcast. There's no need to request it. You can register for future webinars or request a demo of our compliance solution on our website at firsthcc.com or call us at 888-543-4778. And thank you for joining us. Hello, I'm Sheba Vine, and I'm an attorney, but an attorney with a passion for healthcare compliance. We know what healthcare organizations want, to focus on providing the best healthcare possible for their patients without the worry of compliance risks. Complicated federal healthcare laws and regulations make this a real challenge. It is critical to learn and understand these laws and how they intersect, which is why we at First Healthcare Compliance created The Fundamentals. The Fundamentals is a user-friendly four-module course and guidebook that quickly and easily teaches the essentials of HIPAA, OSHA, federal healthcare enforcement, and federal employment laws. You are not alone. Partner with us. We keep compliance fundamental. Why is our training the best in the market? I would say our training is the best in the market because we strive to get the best experts, um, the best experts in healthcare and the best experts in compliance. Um, our experts uh, come from a wide variety across um, the healthcare spectrum and compliance. We have the largest library of compliance training available on the market. And why is that? Because we have so many experts um, who have done training for us. We constantly have brand new content coming out, and this adds to our library over and over again. Um, we have experts coming to us. I seek them out, they seek us out. And uh, this adds to our podcasts. This adds to our uh, radio show that we have. This adds to our webinars. Uh, and it's just a constantly growing library of content of wonderful experts to our, to our library. We deliver them through all types of media. We have white papers, we have blogs, we have uh, ebooks, we have webinars, we have podcasts, we even have a nationally syndicated radio show, First Talk Compliance. And through all this type of media, it's a wonderful way to encounter all types of healthcare compliance all packaged up for you. We have all of our documents taken care of. We have our HIPAA compliance all regulated and underway. We have OSHA taken care of. So everything we need to do is, is done. With First Healthcare, it's all there for you on the website. I love the single source aspect to it. It has given me peace of mind.
Many private practice physicians are challenged to have an effective compliance program, one that meets all federal compliance requirements. Julie Shepard, a nurse, an attorney, and a physician's spouse, identified a widening gap between the expectations of government and the reality of compliance in physician practices. Recognizing the void of practical compliance resources and options available to help physician practices, Julie was inspired to develop a solution for her spouse and for all physicians in private practice. This became the impetus for the formation of FIRST Healthcare Compliance. FIRST Healthcare Compliance, through its affordable single-source compliance solution, saves time and money while addressing HIPAA and its omnibus rule, OSHA, and every important element of a compliance program. It works effectively for any size U.S. private practice involved in healthcare and seamlessly integrates multiple components. Online, a patent-pending cloud-based program is easy to implement and available anytime. While you can rest assured that your practice data is completely secure, hosted on a dedicated server in a HIPAA-compliant data center, you gain the online benefits of continuity and access to training when you need it. User-friendly and streamlined into what we call zones, the program enables you to focus on specific areas of compliance, such as OSHA and HIPAA. Monthly LEIE database checks process systematically, and our proprietary First Defense file automatically logs and timestamps mitigating information. By identifying areas where you need to take action each day, each month, and each year, our program helps you comply with every federal regulation from HIPAA high-tech, OSHA, the False Claims Act, and more. The first healthcare compliance solution doesn't stop here. New rules or regulations are updated, and sample documents help you customize your policies and procedures. Information aids are incorporated within the program, providing supplemental information to support your compliance needs. Additional organizational tools help you perform an annual internal audit and for ongoing compliance management. An anonymous 24-7 hotline is also integrated to reduce the risk of whistleblowers. Personalized, toll-free service from a highly trained staff including medical professionals, is available to complement the online program. The FIRST Healthcare Compliance Solution makes it easy for your practice to save time and money while meeting all the important elements of a compliance program, all in one place. Are you ready to solve your compliance needs and challenges? Sign up now with FIRST Healthcare Compliance and achieve peace of mind 